Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us stand for the call to worship. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all ocean depths. Lightning, hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. You mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth in the heavens, and he has raised up his people for a moment. The praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart, praise the Lord. Let us join together and sing, Lead On, O King Eternal. You may be seated. Again, welcome in the name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We welcome you and are glad that you're here this morning, whether you are visiting us um, online by live stream, whether you'll be watching later this morning, or whether you join us um, are here this morning. So thank you. Thank you. A couple of announcements um, before we, um, um, as we continue, the first is that Thanksgiving Day service. I'm having a hard time realizing that it's actually that time of the year already. Um, but the Thanksgiving Day service is this um, Thursday morning at 10 a.m. And it will be here in the sanctuary. And please remember that um, you can connect with us um, online um, by texting 616-202-1210. And if you, um, if you do that and put something like prayer in the message, it will send you um, a response that allows you to submit a prayer request um, to, to the team for prayer or other things. So please remember that. Let's, um, let's move forward as we um, respond to questions um, 51 and 53 in the Heidelberg Catechism. And um, I will read the question and ask that you um, read the response. 
how does the glory of our Christ, our head, benefit us? What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? The beauty of the Heidelberg Catechism and the beauty of the hymns that we sing is they connect us with the church historic. They connect us with our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout history who have proclaimed these same things, who have sung these same hymns. And these proclamations of faith, these hymns, have united the church throughout the generations. And even today, they unite us with our brothers and sisters in Christ that are scattered around the world that are gathering this morning in, in remote places even, singing the same hymns and reciting the same catechisms. So let us continue to unite our hearts together with the church around the world by standing and singing together, There is a Redeemer.
Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Gracious Father, we come before you and we pause for a moment. During this pause, calm our hearts, clear our minds, help us to appreciate deeply your holiness, your mercy, your judgment, your grace, your righteousness. Gracious Father, help us to marvel in who you are. When we do simple things like pause, we pause. Reminds us that we are dependent on you. Today, as we pause from the craziness of our own lives and we gather in this place for worship, may you meet us in unexpected ways. May you shape us and may you transform us more into the image of Christ. Through the singing of songs and through the preaching of your word, through the celebration of the Lord's Supper, may you speak to the deep longings of our heart May you give us comfort, and may we experience peace. As we go forth from this place, may we continually be not only shaped by the gospel, but may we be shaped into a people of gratitude who give thanks to you for all that you've done, who live lives with open hands, who welcome others because of the grace that you've shown to us. And so, Lord, we pray. We pray that we might come to love you more deeply, that we might come to serve you more faithfully, that we might walk in the light of the gospel which continually transforms us into the image of Christ. And even as we pray these things for ourselves and this community and the church worldwide, we pray also for Pastor Aaron this morning as he brings the message to Watershed. May they experience the grace and the mercy and the peace of God. We pray for our brothers and sisters that will gather this morning across the hall in fusion. We pray that they might hear clearly your word, that they might experience the peace and the love and the joy of the gospel message. And we pray for our brothers and sisters yet this afternoon who will gather in this place as they wrestle with the word as Pastor Florencio brings the message to them. May they also experience the peace and the love and the joy of Christ. And though we may meet in different places and though the worship styles across campus may be different, may you unite us as the people of God as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we may, may we be a people who continually encourage and who build each other up in the name of the gospel. And so, Lord, now we pray for the celebration community. We pray for those that are struggling with physical illness. We pray for those that are struggling with mental illness. We pray for those who are lonely. We pray for those who 
just wonder what life holds for them. May we be a community that surrounds them, that bears one another's burdens, that walks with them, that prays with them, that listens well, and that supports. We pray that we be a community that just generally bears one another's burdens well. A community that is willing to share how God, through Christ, is transforming them. A community that willingly invites its neighbors and its friends to say, come and see, taste and see, come experience the gospel in a way that you may have never experienced it before. So, Lord, we pray for your blessings on this community, on celebration. May you continue to sustain them. May you continue to shape them in light of the gospel. And yet, Lord, as your people, we dwell in a community, and as 1 Timothy reminds us to pray for those in authority, we pray for the city of Holland and for those who govern it, give them wisdom and discernment. We pray for those who serve and park in Holland Township, We pray that you would keep them safe, give them wisdom and discernment. We pray especially for the Ottawa County Board, and we pray for the health department as it's continually trying to make decisions in a very difficult time, as it tries to make sense of the COVID numbers, as it tries to discern what is best for us as a whole, grant them wisdom and discernment. And we pray especially for, right now, our school boards, even the news this week. As they try to navigate COVID-19 and the pandemic, endemic, or whatever we're in anymore, that you would give them wisdom and discernment. And that as your people, that you would give us grace and mercy. Help us to understand that in situations like this, that people are making the best decision they can with the data that they have at the time. And even though we may disagree, even though sometimes we may question it, help us to be a people who listen well and who always, always respond respectfully as we engage others. As we think about the the church around the world, we continue to pray for the missionaries in Haiti who have been kidnapped and are being held. We pray that your spirit would give those who are in authority breakthrough but we pray also that you would continue to sustain them and that even in this dark and lonely time that they might feel the presence of Christ. And so, Lord, we pray. We pray the words that you taught us to pray because they, in essence, capture everything we've asked for this morning, everything we desire. So we pray together your prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So thank you, Darwin, and good morning. We've tried to keep everybody informed. I always feel like uh, information is power, and so the best we can inform folks, you can manage your risks. I did have a kind of low-level exposure about a week ago to folks who were already uh, uh, vaccinated. As it turns out, we were watching the Detroit Lions, and so 
we went to watch the Detroit Lions and came away sick. Can you imagine? Uh, Sorry, friends, I'm sticking with the saints from here. But I've been tested twice this week. I'm negative. Uh, Both Mary Lynn and I are feeling quite fine. Um, We are anxious for the day when I will no longer use these words in an abundance of caution. I can hardly wait till we can just be crazy fun. So we're managing this, and we hope that you understand our, our desire, certainly, is that even as I've been very careful, um, I don't want to become a transmission point for anybody who's at risk and anybody who's at risk end up in the hospital. It's real crowded right now. And so thinking about those things has been important to these decisions and here we are. I tell you another fascinating thing. I made a discovery this morning, never knew this. I was waiting, there's a little ante room back here outside that door. I was waiting in, in there and while we were singing, It sounds just like my shower. (laughs) I don't know if you heard me, but that is the best place in the county to sing. So in the future, if you see me disappear and go over there, you know what's going on. It happened here first. Welcome to celebration. I'm very anxious to share with you this morning. I could go on for hours because this really is kind of a four 30-minute summaries of about an eight-hour seminar I've done on equipping the body of Christ for the mission of Christ. And we're hitting some highlights. Um, Today, I'm going to go back and look at Romans. We'll summarize some things, and we'll close with a, a particular story that I hope encourages you to think about mission and being a witness for Christ right where he would put you. The scripture for this morning, I'm going to read portions of Romans 12, verses 3 through 5, and verses 9 through 21. And I'll make some comments along the way, but just keep the slides up and go with that. So um, let us hear the word of God. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, For by the grace gift given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, and you see that key word, in Christ, we... Though we are many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now, in the next verses, Paul is going to list some of those grace gifts. Uh, We did that last week. Right now, I'm going to jump to verse 9, where we see Paul give concrete examples. That's what I want you thinking of. Concrete examples and applications of what life in the grace-gifted body of Christ should look like. Verse 9. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. He's going from life in the body to how do we relate to the world outside. Bless those who persecute you. 
Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you at least, live at peace with everyone. Now listen to this. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, and I want to stop right here and make something real clear. Paul now is going to quote from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. And you'll hear in this quotation of Proverbs the echo of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. So listen, back to Paul. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Not because this is the way you get to burn him up. But because as you respond to evil with love, the fire of God's conviction in the power of the Holy Spirit, has more access to their heart. Love someone, leave the convicting to the power of the Spirit. And then he closes with this statement. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's take a moment and pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, Paul, who as best we can tell, wrote this from a prison, uh, held there by the Roman authorities, was very clear to his people, love those who persecute you, bless them, feed them, care for them. We're stunned by those words. What a work of the Holy Spirit that would be. So begin that in us. Help us to see how that works out and to understand in fresh new ways. Thank you that as Paul wrote the church in Rome, those words were inspired And now they've been preserved across centuries so that we can open them and let you speak to us. Uh, Thank you that you use broken vessels, people like me. Guard your people from my brokenness. But in the midst of this, may people see clearly the cross of Christ, the empty tomb and the power of the Holy Spirit that calls us to new life. Thank you for your goodness and grace, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. Alrighty, I've called this series Joining the Joy because joining is a key part of it. Um, I believe that to really experience the joy of Christ, you can't simply observe what God is doing, but you want to be a part of things. That's his intention. And this morning, I want to focus on a portion that I'm calling Better Together. Now, let's go back, and I'm just going to hit real quickly some highlights. You'll find them in the the bulletin, kind of the sermon outline that I give there. These are concepts I want to begin to build into you. We don't have a strong administrative structure to support and do all of this kind of thing, force everybody through Um, at a spiritual gift study, but I would love for us to find ways to dig deeper into this. If your heart is being stirred, uh, give me a call in the next week or two and say, what would it take to do this extensively? 
the first thing that I think is that all of us begin to get a sense of this summary idea from the Bible that I talked about, servant profile. This is the framework. When you want to think about joining the joy of God's mission, think about servant profile. And there's three things here. The first is the new heart passion. When we come to faith in Christ, that new heart is going to be interested and motivated towards something. It may be missions or children's ministry. Um, it can be organization. It can be um, any number of things. And we have people who are just deeply motivated to pursue a particular issue in their heart. And what my call as a pastor, I think, is to help people get these things lined up and moving in the same way. But could you identify your passion? That's the question. The second, we've looked at this for two weeks, is the grace gifts, enablements, empowerments. More than just training, though hopefully our training supports those gifts, but the work of the Holy Spirit to enable me to do something. If you've ever been with somebody with a real administrative gift, you'll see how quickly they are able to organize things and move things forward. It'll be a dramatic compa uh, contrast to the way I function. You'll see different gifts, and those enablements are important. The third key thing is um, personal style, and this is just preference. A personal style is not right or wrong, good or bad. It's kind of like right-handed, left-handed. It just kind of comes with a package. That's why we often use this term wiring. It's kind of a unique wiring that each of us will have. Neither better nor worse, good nor bad. It just kind of is. And you want to be able to identify that and function with that. Let me give you some examples of what that looks like. First of all is this. You may be extrovert or introvert. I laugh at myself. It was several years out of seminary before I really began to realize extroverts pray differently than introverts. My goal as a pastor stopped being get everybody to pray like me and equip people to pray like God has wired them. Such an idea. Extrovert, introvert. Some people are planned, some are spontaneous. I know when I'm working with a team that I want to release into ministry, if the team leader is planned, it's good for me to support them by giving them a task list, work from one through 10. I know if the team leader is spontaneous, what I want to do is say, here's where we want to get. You figure it out. Which is better? Which is worse? Wrong question. They both work. It's fine. Leadership needs to understand and see that and cultivate it. Personal style is the kind of thing you get an approximation of with a Myers-Briggs or the DISC, if you've ever had those things. I think the Enneagram is trying to get at that same sort of stuff. How are we wired? Personal style is about how we flourish best over the long term, not an excuse for bad behavior. Let me give you a concrete example. I show up on all those personality tests as an introvert. And that means I'm kind of energized by quiet and by time alone. But I work for a portion of my week in a very extroverted circumstance. I'm a pastor. It's the good humor of God to take an introvert that he created and said, let me have you serve in an extrovert function. Well, for me to flourish long time, I've got to kind of recognize my introvert inclinations and make allowance for that. 
When I go home after a typical Sunday morning, Mary Lynn gives me distance. That's a nice way of saying she runs and hides while I go to the back of the house. I drink some water, I change my clothes, I unwind. I get about 10 introvert minutes and I'm a whole different person. Now, I can never use my introvert inclination as an excuse for bad behavior. The minute I say, I'm not gonna treat you nice because I'm an introvert, we've missed something. That's a heart attitude, not a personal style issue. And I just need to um, deal with that. Recognize personal style, move with it, recognize it in others, encourage it. So let's talk about some practical things. I'm just gonna rip through these things about finding your fit. If you can begin to clarify your um, new heart passion, your grace gifts, your personal style, how do these things fit together? Well, the first thing I'd wanna to touch is the importance of teams. I think we do well serving together. I am thankful beyond words that this morning we felt like the safest way to serve the people of celebration was for Darwin to step up. And I wanna tell you, Darwin, thank you. I'm, I can't tell you what a joy it is to have an executive pastor who could pray like he did. Executive pastors have particular sets of gifts and I'm thankful for that. But I also see a particular heart for God. You see, we're a team, and so we can share these things off. The closing illustration this morning is not mine. I got it from JB. There's a chemistry in this team that bears fruit to the glory of God. You don't want a great performer. You want a great team. Five individual basket players will always be outplayed by a great basketball team. The same players, but when they function as a team. Teams are important. Um, another thing we need to think about as we help each other find the right fit is available time. Now, I'm not advocating or giving you an excuse to waste time or to spend it foolishly, but let's be honest about something. In my wisdom and evaluation, I've noticed that parenting a house full of elementary age kids is different than parenting those same kids when they're off at college. That's just available time. Different folks have available time and we need to recognize that and give that to people. It, it works. Christian maturity is another thing about finding your fit. I wanna tell you there are some serving roles in the body of Christ that need experience and wisdom, what I call the fruit of the spirit born over time. A pastor, you have every right to expect that I'm in an accountable relationship that confirms I'm bearing the fruit of the Spirit faithfully over time. Elders, there to be people with whom the Spirit of God has been at work over time, and we see that. Elder, pastor, student ministry teacher. But there are other roles that don't need that much what I'm calling maturity. Here's one, making coffee. Here's another one, helping with crafts or serving with meals with a student ministry. I wanna tell you something, people can serve in some roles even before they are members, and I've seen even before they are believers. 
giving people space to join in, to build relationships, to observe, to learn, even to ask questions. Sometimes a measure of belonging along the journey helps them come to a step of believing. Now, I don't want a seeker serving as an elder, as a pastor, but I'm happy to have a seeker help with food distribution at another time. Um, so we need to ask about spiritual maturity and how does that play out where we're asking people to serve. Another key thing, finding your fit. When I'm teaching longer with spiritual gifts, I'll give you three things to avoid. One is gift projection. That's when I say everybody has to have my gift. Good news, friends. Jesus doesn't want you like me. You don't have to have the same gift or the same ministry as me. That's the work of God. I need to affirm a unique work of God in your life, not project onto you what God has given me. Gift elevation, and we see this, it's funny to me across denominations, different denominational families will say this gift is important and that gift is important. The great, 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 great grandchildren of John Calvin, we tend to elevate the gift of teaching. He was a law professor before he was converted. That was clearly God's work in his life. Look at the institutes. We need to appreciate that gift. It's a unique contribution we have to the body of Christ, but we ought not to elevate it above others. Imagine a church where gifts of service, gifts of intercession, gifts of evangelism, gifts of teaching, gifts of giving are all affirmed and accepted and helped to find their place. Beware of gift re rejection. Often we'll say, oh, no, no, not for me, not for this church, no. Could it be that there's just a fear of what's not understood or a, a desire to control and only have whatever? Those are questions to ask yourself. Just be careful. When we talk about finding your fit, I mentioned last week how 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 are one of the large, important passages in Paul and in the Bible about learning about spiritual gifts. What is chapter 13 about? Love. I often call it the wedding chapter. People who may not have ever read their Bible will get married and want 1 Corinthians 13. Well, I want to tell you, that chapter about love is in the center of the important teaching about spiritual gifts. If the gifts, if your passion and your style are not functioning in such a way as for agape love to be received by other people, no condemnation, but do step back and ask yourself, what's breaking down here? You see, the work of the Spirit produces in us a servant heart, not servility. It's not denigrating to us or to others but it desires to see the best for other people. I wanna say real clearly, friends, that I believe this vision of the grace-gifted body of Christ is how mission is done. It's the way to reach a community or to reach a world. I think this is what God had planned from the moment of sin in the garden, his understanding that there'd be a need for redemption 
that would find itself at the cross of Christ, victory over sin and death through the empty tomb, and then the empowering through the Holy Spirit to send us out to all the nations. This is how mission is done. It's the fruit of the gospel at work in our lives and our lives together in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's important that we recognize that now more than ever. And I want to close. I I wish I had about four hours for this because we've really been thinking about it a lot as a staff. And you've heard it in my sermons. We we just released a, a podcast from our teaching staff that looks at this Tim Keller book, How to Reach the West Again, dealing with this same question. So you're going to hear this in a number of ways in days and months to come. Christendom is gone. You see, I'm doing ministry in a very different setting in 2021, soon to be 2022, than I was in 19, oh, this is tough, 80 when I was ordained. The circumstance with which I do ministry has changed. It's like years ago, everybody was speaking one language, and now everybody's speaking a different language. To do ministry, I've got to speak this new language. I don't change the message of the gospel, but that's how dramatic it's been. Christendom is gone and we're living in a new and different time. Now, Christendom, and I've got that in the sermon outline, I would define it as a, when the habits and institutions that surround and affect us all, when they work together to support and reinforce kind of a, a vaguely Judeo-Christian civil religion. That's Christendom, when all the habits and institutions push us towards Christian sorts of behaviors. Now, Let me tell you about that. It's a pretty good thing. It's much better than a community marked by lawlessness and chaos. I've lived in those neighborhoods. They're tough. Christendom is better than lawless chaos. Christendom is better than Sharia law. I've studied that. I have no interest. But Christendom, as I described there, is different than a vibrant personal faith. Those two things, Christendom and a vibrant personal faith, do not completely overlap. Now, Christendom could be a good place to come to a vibrant Christian faith. For many of you, that's your story. It is for me. It was in a time much more marked by Christendom that I heard the gospel and responded to it. That's great. But the point of the matter for us in this new and different time is not to reestablish Christendom, to take power over the habits and institutions and to say, do it my way. The moment is this, to make clear a vibrant personal faith. You see, we need to learn what it means to to live as a missional minority because we'll be in a minority. People with the Bible's view of loving your enemy, like I read this morning, where else do you think in American culture people hear that? Not many people are even hearing it in their churches, apparently. Where else do people go to be encouraged to love their enemies, to feed people that persecute them? I was taught how to win arguments, not how to love my enemies. See, the ministry of Christ is bringing us to something else. We're a minority, and we need to be in mission so that that 
uh, happens. This is why I love our vision statement. As a missional minority, it fits for everyone to be joining in the journey because it takes time of being found in and formed by and following Jesus Christ. Um, I want to tell you a story that I heard first from JB and then I dug into it over the past few days. It so powerfully encapsulates, encapsulates, boy, I just washed my mouth and I can hardly do a thing with it, but we'll see. It encapsulates what I think it would look like to live as a missional minority in our moment. It's about a, a guy by the name of Daryl Davis. Now, Daryl Davis is a piano player. And back in New Orleans, when I was ministering there, we would call his style of piano boogie-woogie. It's a kind of blues. Jane, I'm sure you're familiar with Jelly Roll Morton and Fats Domino, Professor Longhair, Champion Jack Dupree. I could picture, doesn't the Calvin Music Department have a class? Okay, maybe not. But he's a boogie-woogie piano player. And by the way, he's a believer and he's African-American, and he's developed this really interesting habit of befriending members of the Ku Klux Klan. And he now has in his home apparently 200 Ku Klux Klan robes. Let me read to you from a newspaper about Daryl's life. The story starts in 1983 at a roadside juke joint called the Silver Dollar Lounge in Frederick, Maryland. Don't think I've played there, but I've played in those kind of places. I have a picture in my mind. Daryl's band was the headliner that night and being the only black man in the whole place did not perturb him at all. After he and his band finished their set, Davis was approached by a patron who was around 15 years his senior. Now, that was not an unusual occurrence for a working musician. However, while praising Davis on his performance, the patron candidly noted that he had never seen a black man who could play like Jerry Lee Lewis. More curious than offended, Davis used his encounter as an opportunity for friendly discourse rather than outrage. Underline that. Friendly discourse rather than outrage. I explained to this older white guy that Jerry Lee Lewis was influenced by the same black boogie-woogie and blues piano players as I was, Davis says with a chuckle. He didn't believe me. Then I told him that Jerry Lee is a good friend of mine. And well, he didn't believe that either, but he was fascinated. So he asked me to join him for a drink, Davis continues. Now, I don't drink, so I had a glass of cranberry juice. And then he took his glass, and we cheered one another. He then said, you know, this is the first time I've ever sat down and had a drink with a black person. I was instantly curious and thought, what is going on here? So I asked him why. He didn't answer at first, but eventually he admitted that he was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Daryl has continued to engage and befriend members of the KKK. Growing out of those conversations, many of them centered on his Christian faith, over 200 have left the Klan and given Daryl their robes. Picture this. This is what missional minority ministry will look like, befriending people 
and then ending up with a house full of a black piano player with a house full of KKK robes. Friends, that's the adventure of grace-gifted Body of Christ-style ministry, living in the adventure of our moment as a missional minority, joining the journey with others to be found in, formed by, and following Jesus Christ. I also think of us here at Hardawike, right here in celebration. Who among us might be a Daryl? You see, Daryl apparently has a gift of evangelism or, or mission apostleship, that sort of thing. But those people who decide to step away from the clan, they need people with a gift of teaching to help rebuild their worldview. People with a gift of shepherding to help disciple them. People with a gift of hospitality to welcome them to a gospel-centered church. That's what it looks like to function as the body. Now, I'm not sure that Jesus has called us to reach into our community of the KKK, but who is it right here that's distant from the gospel? Who might the Holy Spirit gift you as an individual or us as a body to reach the gospel of God's grace? You know, watching the news this week, I believe that Jesus would want to reach the QAnon conspiracy theory group. Could you imagine befriending the shaman, the the witch doctor guy? and him coming to a new sense of what reality is, so he gave me his horned helmet. We've just finished Grace and Truth 1.0, a really helpful five conversations that every faithful Christian should have about LGBTQ issues. I was thinking about this and realized that Preston Sprinkle, the guy who's put this material together, is gifted by God to reach people in the LGBTQ community in a way not all that different than Daryl connecting with the clan. Can, can we be honest and still friendly? There's probably as much difference culturally between me and some radical LGBTQ stuff as between Daryl and the clan. Can the gospel equip me to reach across that with good news? Friends, this is an adventure that will take time and the work of the Holy Spirit. But we are called to be better together, empowered by God to live out the gospel, even to people who seem very different and distant to us. Because Jesus went to the cross to pay for their sin and my sin. Not to make them like me, but to make both of us the adopted, deeply loved children of the great creator king. The Jesus I need is the Jesus who's given his life for people who seem so far from me. But together, better together, God can bring good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness. And I thank you for a a brother like Daryl and for what it means to use his gifts as a musician, to build relationships that the world would hardly understand. Help us to uh, recognize that ministry is more than one person or one uh, particular expression, but that together we might affirm and cultivate and identify and encourage 
the passions that you are giving to new hearts here at Celebration, the gifting enablements that you have, and for the personal style that kind of makes us uniquely who we are, fearfully and wonderfully made. We pray for a grace-gifted body of Christ-style ministry in which Jesus will be lifted up and our community might see the hope and the love that we see and experience from the cross. Fill us with great hope this day, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. Jesus Christ on the night he was betrayed, gathered with his disciples, all 12 of them, all of them very unique and different individuals, all of them with very different gifts. And they gathered around a table, and as they gathered around a table, they celebrated the Passover. The Passover celebrated that night as we have come to known as the institution of the Lord's Supper. As we gather around this table this morning, we gather as a community. We gather as a community that's part of a larger community, but we also gather with Christians around the world and throughout history who have, over the years, been united together by the gospel of Jesus Christ and then physically celebrating the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a very experiential, experiential time, is experiential gospel in that we celebrate the breaking of the bread, the eating of the body, and the drinking of the blood for the forgiveness of sins. I don't know whether to say unfortunately or not, so I will, but unfortunately due to COVID-19, we have to use these little things. And I just want to remind you on how to use them before we go ahead. And as a community, if there is someone next to you that struggles with using these and moving the tabs, please feel free to move around and help them, okay? Um, you'll want to pull back the top tab, which will reveal the wafer of unleavened bread, and then we'll break the bread and take that. And then after that, you'll need to pull back the silver tab for the cup. Just a quick reminder, encourage you to pull back the silver tab about two-thirds of the way. If you pull it back farther than that, you may end up with um, simulated um, wine or grape juice um, on the front of your clothing. So, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, he sat there with his disciples and he took the bread. And, and he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Let us take, take and eat. And then he took the cup and he poured out the juice and he said, this cup is the new covenant. This is my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink you, all of you who are there, from it. And so let us, in remembrance of Christ's death and resurrection, let us take together and eat of the bread, which was given for us, his body broken for us.
Let us now drink from the cup for the forgiveness of sins. And in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that an amazing declaration? In Christ, we are united together, as Pastor Bill noted, into one body. One body called to serve and to love the Lord Jesus Christ by caring for those around us. And for that, we are deeply grateful. Let us now stand and sing together. Now thank we all our God. Christ, your position before God is secure. There is nothing that you can do that will earn more of God's love. There is nothing you can do that will lessen God's love for you. We are in Christ secure. And with that, we go forward confidence. Confident in the Jesus Christ, confident that the gospel will change lives. Isn't that amazing? 
Those words, that idea that the gospel changes lives and in our relationship with God, we are secure is life transforming. It is the message we have to share with those out there. As Bill so adequately put it this morning, we are called as a team both to demonstrate the truth of that message and to proclaim that message together as we live out our lives, striving to follow Christ faithfully. Now, as we go from this place, may God go before you to lead you. May God go beside you to befriend you. May God go beneath you to support you. May God go behind you to protect you. Do not be afraid. Go forward in the peace and the love and the mercy and the grace and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Father who art in heaven, and the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.